So this one we're talking about this morning is about being drawn to the truth. And kind of the image in my head is like kind of like a moth to a flame. The disciples of Jesus and people who have loving hearts because of Jesus. You know, it's one thing to have a loving heart. It's another thing to have a heart that loves the way that Jesus loves. They're just totally different grades, qualities of love. All of us uh, know just kind of as humans, we learn uh, and, and in some ways innately love. But there is just a whole other level when we come to know what Jesus has done for us and what Jesus can do through us and, and the ways that He challenges us to love beyond what would just be normal or innate. It's, uh, Jesus talks about how you know anybody can love the people who love them back, but He says, but I want you to love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless them. You know, there's just a, he asks us to go far beyond the, the love that we would just naturally do. And while that's challenging and it's difficult, there is a sense in which we see Jesus doing that all the time in the Gospels, and it just it attracts us. It's why, it's why we are like a moth to a flame. We're drawn to Jesus, and we're drawn to His heart. And in that way, we are drawn to truth because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. When we look at Him, we see truth. And that's something that our world struggles with, this idea that there even is truth. And so, constantly, truth is being watered down, it's being batted against, to the point that people will say things that are... They, it's like what Paul says when he says, they will say things that have an air of wisdom, but they're actually foolishness. And that's things like the idea that, well, you have your truth, and I have mine. Okay, go out, let's, let's put this to a test. You have your truth, and I have mine. In your truth, a piano, a grand piano, a Steinway, weighs 2,298 pounds. I just made that number up. That's really specific, but I just made it up. The number is not truth necessarily, is it? It's going to feel like it, isn't it? Or is it? That's your truth. Your truth is that that Steinway weighs, let's say, a ton. And that if I stand under a Steinway, that's like in the Three Stooges, and if I stand under that Steinway and someone cuts the rope, what is your truth about what's going to happen to me? Squashed. Yeah. Right? Flat as a pancake. Hurt. Probably dead. Most likely dead. If any of you just said, hey, that's kind of cool. Repent. You know. <laughs> you should be ashamed of yourself. The <laughs> but, but none of that matters because in my truth, Steinways weigh the same as a feather. And in my truth, if a Steinway falls on my head, it's just going to tickle a little bit. Now, what do you think about that? You're thinking I've already had a piano to the head, aren't you? That's what you're thinking. That's, you know, we don't challenge that stuff. But sometimes really simple things like that would challenge stupid things. There are stupid things, by the way. I know you're never supposed to say that. And their parents are, I don't want my child to hear that word. Wow, they're going to hear that word anyway. But the truth is, and it's in Scripture too. Scripture uses the word. But the truth is there really are things that lack intelligence. But sound like they have lots of intelligence. And Solomon, you know, constantly talked to his kids in the book of Proverbs about how to discern, you know, which is it, what's the difference between the things that, that look right, sound right, and sound like they have truth, and the things that, that actually don't. As Christians, we've decided, we believe, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so the filter by which we, we discern these things is I look at everything then through Jesus. Does it match with what Jesus taught, with how Jesus lived, and with how Jesus commands and calls us to live? That, 
body of, of belief is what? Those are the things that we've discerned from Jesus because He's Jesus and is the truth to be then true. And it doesn't then change when it goes from me to you or you to me. It's not your truth and my truth. There's truth. And there's whether or not I accept it or reject it. Okay? And we do have a choice. Jesus never made anybody believe the truth. He never made anybody live by the truth. He called people to. He encouraged people to. Sometimes strongly, but He didn't make anybody because this is a kingdom we're born into by faith and by choice, not a kingdom that comes by force or by birth. Those are Jesus' own words. So I'm not making that up. That's Jesus, so that is truth, right? So we're going to look at some things about that today, dealing with, with truth and, and really the way that as Christians we're, and we're called to this, but also as people who believe in Jesus it ceases to become a, I have to follow the truth. It becomes a, I love Jesus. I want to be with Him and I want to be like Him. And it pulls us toward truth. So that's what I mean by that. The uh, statement Jesus makes here in Matthew 5, verse 37, is one that, that we hear pretty often. Let's look at it. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever more than, is more than these is from the evil one. Let your yes be yes, your no be no, whatever else, another translation, whatever else you have is, is from the devil, from the evil one. Okay? What's he talking about when he says this? Your yes and yes and your no, no. He's talking about a word that we, we use often and, and should use often, but society doesn't use as much as it used to. And it's called integrity. Integrity is, basically, let's just boil it down real simple. It is my walk matching my talk. That I am the person that I say that I'm going to be. It's the opposite of a hypocrite. It's somebody who has integrity. It's somebody who teaches, preaches, lives all the same stuff. Now, that doesn't mean they're perfect because how many of us are, right? None. But it does mean that we're making our best effort to stick to what we say we believe. So if I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and I believe that that then is authoritative in my life, and I believe then that I'm supposed to be honest when Jesus says to be honest, which is always, if loving when He says to be loving, which is always, then what am I going to try to be? Again, not being perfect, but what am I going to try to be? I'm going to try to be honest. I'm going to try to be loving. And that's what He's getting at. Now, sometimes we'll talk about this in the sense of if you say you're going to do something, oh, no. There we are. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. If you say you're going to do something, do it, right? Don't, don't say, well, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. And then, now, we all, we all make mistakes there. We sometimes agree too quickly and then later go, oh, no, was I supposed to do that? Solomon told his sons in the book of Proverbs, never dedicate yourself rashly, only later to consider the vow that you've made. Who's broken that proverb? Me and two other people and a whole bunch of liars. You know, a whole bunch of liars. The, you, you, I tell you what, I'm going to change my sermon again. But, but we just, we have that problem. And sometimes we, you know, we agree too quickly. And he is talking about that. Because that gets in, even into what? Integrity. Because integrity says, oh man, I didn't realize it was going to be like that. But integrity still does what? You still do it. You still go ahead. It's tougher than you thought it was going to be or it's more time-consuming than you thought it was going to be or whatever, but you still do it. How much would that one little thing, 
Your yes be yes and your no be no change the moral landscape of our country. What do you think? Just that one thing. Ask a lawyer who's in contract law right now if our society believes in letting your yes be yes and your no be no. Ask a bank. Ask their loan officer if people will really believe that yes is yes and no is no. Ask a family court judge if husbands and wives and fathers and mothers believe that your yes is yes and your no is no. Just this one thing. This one habit of a loving heart, a Jesus heart. What would that do to change our society, to change us even, as and first, I would say us first, that would have an incredible impact and really start to show Jesus' love? You say, well, how does that show love? Let's go back to the family court. Jesus says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And we said, yes, I'll do that. I do. That's what that is. Yes. Yes, I will do that. Was that. Shouldn't that be just on that one thing alone, a half-empty court? How is that love? Well, isn't it love when a person states a promise and 30 years later, 40 years later, 50 years later, still gets every, up every day and says, I'm going to keep that promise. I'm going to do that. Yes, I do. How does that change the family of kids watching mom and dad? Because that's where they learn how to love. How does that change them? When they see every day and they see, you know, they see mistakes and they see parents having to apologize and they see, you know, people getting cranky or whatever and having to do better and, and blowing it. But they also see people making commitments to do better. They see people growing. They see changes. They see a father who's more patient 20 years later than he was 20 years before. They see that stuff. What does that habit of a loving heart do for a kid? What does it change? And how does that person then go out into the world and live that differently than they might have otherwise? And I think we really know the ramifications of just this simple choice. If I say yes, if I say I do, if I say I'm going to you know, be there or do that or whatever, then we keep it. What does that change? Think about this. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hands because clearly, you know, the, the, it's just not a raising your hands kind of a morning. The, but how many of you were affected by all of the stock market crash and real estate crash in 2007 and 2008. That's anybody with a 401k. It's anybody with a, a corporate pension. And that's everybody else, whether they realize it or not. Even if you were broke, had nothing in the stock market, nothing in real estate, and were only trying to go to the gas station to buy five gallons of gas, you were affected. And what were you affected by? People that didn't simply keep their yes as yes, and their no is no. There was a lot of dishonesty. There was a lot of, well, that's just on paper. I don't really have to send in that money. I can just walk away from this. And I'm not talking about people that were, because that were, there was a lot of people that were hitting that, that had to walk away from things that they didn't want to walk away from. And it wasn't because that was the choice they wanted to make. It was because of the ripple effects of all these other people making choices that walked away. And then it hit them, and then it hit them, and then it hit them. And then they were just busted in all of it. And there was a lot of people destroyed in the wake that didn't want to have to go through those things. So, you know, if you were affected that way, that's not what I'm talking about. But we know that a lot of it, and a lot of it was on Wall Street, in boardrooms, by people who got out of it with very little scars compared to the rest of the country. But it was basic honesty and integrity stuff. And every single person in this room was affected. And in many ways, we, we really, we still are. 
I'm going to look at another passage here that speaks to this. And this is from Matthew chapter 5. Same context, but this is from the message. Okay? It's not a study Bible translation. It's a paraphrase. And, uh, but every now and then, it's worded in a way that I just, I just think that the wording helps clarify and makes us think. And don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smoke screen of pious talk saying, I'll pray for you. And never doing it. Any of us guilty of that? Don't raise your hands. You know, yeah, we all are. Never doing it. Or saying, God be with you, but not meaning it. You, you don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. And making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. Just say yes or no. Doesn't it simplify your life when you decide you're just going to be honest? You know you don't have to keep up with your story when your story is true. There's nothing to worry about there. And it's a freedom that, that, that people who struggle with uh, not always being forthright just, just don't even understand the level of, well, I'm going to say it the way Jesus and Paul said it, the level of slavery they're under in trying to keep their story straight. And there's just an awesome freedom that comes when you don't worry about that. You just tell the truth. And you do it nicely. You speak the truth in love. We'll look at that. That's not an option. But you just speak the truth. And there's so many worries that just don't go away. Or that just go away. You don't, you don't even have to deal with it anymore. Our, 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 our country, our community, our state could learn a lot just from enjoying that freedom for a little while, couldn't they? I mean, we'd have to shut down Austin and Washington, D.C. But that's not bad. That's not a bad thing ever. Ever, or maybe they could they, actually maybe they could actually get to some real work. That would also be nice. That would be good. So, with all of that, how do we? Well, let me tell you a story first. Before we get into this, let me tell you a story. This is one from Willard Tate's book, Habits of a Loving Heart. Uh, he tells the story. He opens this with a story about three turtles. I have no idea why they're turtles. I'm just going to tell you the story the way he told it. But these three turtles decide to go have a picnic by the lake. And so already I'm confused. But uh, they have a picnic by the lake. And they're, they're on the way to, to the lake, and they realize that they've forgotten some of the supplies. they got the sandwiches and stuff, but they don't have everything. And so they decide, well, you know, who, who's going to go back to, back to what, the car? I have no idea back to what. But who's going to go back and get the, the rest of the food? Because dessert, that's what he's supposed to go get. Who's going to go get the dessert? Because they got the sandwiches. And the third guy was the one who wasn't carrying anything. So they said, well, why don't you go back and get it? He goes, oh, I'm not going. And they say, well, why won't you go? And he goes, I'm not going. If I go, you guys are going to eat the sandwiches, and I'm going to get back, and I'm not going to be able to have a sandwich myself. I don't trust you. I'm not going. And so they say, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll wait. And they said, you're sure you're going to wait? And he says, yeah, I'm sure. I'm going to wait. And, and so he says, if you wait and you don't eat anything till I get back, I'll go get the dessert, but you better not eat a sandwich. They said, fine, fine, fine. Go get the dessert. We will wait for you. We will not eat a thing. So he goes. And they sit there for an hour. They don't touch the sandwich. Two hours. A day. Two days. Two weeks later. One of these turtles, they are turtles. One of these turtles says to the other turtle, it's been two weeks. I'm dying here. Don't you think it'd finally be all right? Let's just eat a sandwich. He's not coming back. Clearly, he just went home. He's not coming back. The other one says, you know, it's two weeks. I think you're probably right. 
Let's go ahead and eat a sandwich. And as soon as he said that, the other turtle jumps out of the bush and says, I knew it! That's why I didn't go get the dessert. So, that's we have problems trusting people. And trust is the basis of our whole society, isn't it? And, and when that trust gets broken... You know, then we do stupid stuff like that. We hide in the bush. We don't let, we never let anybody, you know, just, we never take them at their word. And sometimes that's because maybe the problem's in here, but maybe that's because we've been lied to. Maybe that's because we've been, uh, just had people give us reasons not to trust and we're burned. If we will be people of the truth and we will be people of, of a real commitment to integrity, we can rebuild hearts like that, whether it's ours or somebody else's. By living truthfully constantly, right? So, with that, how do we do that? How do we get to be people with this habit of a loving heart? One is to be drawn to think truthfully. Okay, what we think about, what we concentrate on matters. So go over to Philippians chapter 4. Some, for a lot of you, this will be a familiar passage. I'll give you, I didn't tell you all this, but this is all in that version app. If you go over there, the outline and the references are all there. If you're a clicker. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8, Paul is writing to them and telling them, he says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Then he goes through a list of several things that would actually help us to do that. Like praying to God and giving our, our, our needs and not giving up being anxious and all those things. But he also says in verse 8, here's what I want you to focus on. Things I really want you to dwell on. What you need to be drawn to, like a moth to the flame. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is, and what's his very first one? Look at it. Verse 8. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. But he starts with whatever is true. And everything he says after that, those are things that we find in the one who is true, Jesus. When he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, he wasn't just saying, I'm the one who's right and wins every argument. I'm the one who's truth. He was saying, if you want to find the way that is, uh, leads you to a life of integrity, and if that integrity then shapes and molds a life blessed by God, the way, the truth, and the life, one that lasts for an eternity, look at me. The way that Jesus lived, the way that He acted, the way that He loved, and, and what He taught, that's truth. So Paul says, that's what I want you to focus on. Whatever is truth, real truth, not your truth or my truth, real gospel-tested from the heavens, ordained by God, Whatever is true, God stamped. The way that you get, you know, USDA stamped on your grade A milk, the God truth stamped on the side of the carton. Whatever is true, you think about that. What does that lead to? Go back up through verses 4 to 7. That then leads to rejoicing. It leads to peace. It leads to an end of anxiety because Jesus' truth gives us peace, gives us wholeness, gives us joy. And pushes those things out of the way. So he's, he, he wants to shape the way that we start to think and view the world. I want you to think truthfully. Don't cover up. Don't fall for things that aren't true. Don't buy into philosophies that aren't Jesus. Just dwell on, think about, concentrate on truth. You say, well, how do I do that? One is to be in God's Word. There's not a way around that, is it? 
Get into the Word. Get into the Gospel. Spend time there every day. Doesn't have, you don't have to be a monk who spends 12 hours next to a candle. But get into the Word of God some way or another every day and, and spend some time. It may be one verse. Okay? It may be one verse each day that you say, you know what, I'm going to meditate on this. I'm going to chew on this all day long. How can I be like this? Or how am I blessed by this? Not all the verses are, are doing. Some are and some aren't. Some are comforting. Some are encouraging. Some are strengthening. Some are challenging. But grab onto that thing. Today I'm going to look at this and I'm going to look at my life through, this, through the prism of this particular passage. How would that change things? It, you just take the one we looked at earlier. If today I focused on, I'm going to let my yes be yes and my no be no. You might want you on that one for a whole week. Just that one. At work. How would that, how, how, that's going to affect some of your decision making, isn't it? It will also, it won't just be, uh, it's not going to be just obligation kind of stuff either. You said you would do this, so you need to do this. That's kind of what we've talked about so far. It will also be freeing. It will be liberating. Because it's going to make you think about some things and say, you know what? I actually don't think I need to do that. I don't think that's something I need to be involved in. And I'm, I'm going to say no, because I think Jesus would say no, and I want to be a Jesus person. No, I, I can't do that. And you're going to be able to walk away and say, well, what do you know? Jesus let me say no. And that's all right. That's a good thing. So chew, you know, chew on a passage and be, let your mind start to, to be shaped by what is Jesus' truth and how am I going to think and how am I going to view the world around me. You're going to find things being better. You're going to find some things more starkly evil. They're wrong, and, and you're going to have to deal with that. You said, yes, I'll follow Jesus, and you're going to look at something that you might have wanted to do and go, man, I can't do that, can I? Because I said to Jesus back here in the water, I do. And I've got to let that yes be yes. And that means to some things I'm going to have to say no and make that really mean no. Anyway, how you think, what you, what you think about, how you make your decisions. The next one is this. Go over to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> And that says 4.15, but I added a little bit later. So we're going to jump down here in a second. But chapter 4 and verse 15. And this is a chapter 4 of Ephesians is a rubber meets the road kind of a chapter where Paul is telling these young Christians, listen, this is how you actually live out this calling. This is how you don't just know the truth, but now you start to live the truth. It's not just about ideas and stained glass and all this stuff. It's rubber meets the road. So he says in verse 15, instead, well, let me go back up to 14 and get context. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. In other words, you're going to cut through other people's untruth because you know what God's truth is. If you've done the first thing, you're thinking more truthfully. And is this right with God? Now you're going to be able to cut through a lot of the junk in the world and not be wishy-washy and, and, and deceived. So verse 15, instead, speaking the truth, how? In love. That's important because I hear this verse quoted often, but I often, I most often hear this verse quoted in a way that is antithetical. Benny's not here. I can use the word antithetical. He didn't like that word. That is antithetical to what Paul actually means. They will say that speaking the truth in love, and then they'll say the ugliest thing, right? Now, I'm just going to speak the truth in love to you, brother. I think you're a total heathen and going to hell because I saw what you were doing this morning. I don't agree with it. And they always had that preacher accent. Have you ever noticed that? But I had noticed that. But what Paul is actually calling us to is, I want you to speak the truth. But you can't just rubber stamp my words, Paul would say. 
at the end of what you said or the beginning of what you said and make that loving. Okay, you can't just quote Ephesians 4.15 and suddenly that's love. To speak truthfully and lovingly. We kind of need to follow Paul's advice in Galatians chapter 6. When you go to somebody and you need to correct them, how does he say to do it? He says you need to go humbly. You need to go carefully. You need to go checking yourself to make sure you're not tempted. Not necessarily by what they're struggling with. Maybe tempted to be prideful, arrogant, pushy, and harsh with them. And if you're going to speak the truth to somebody that may be struggling with a lie, he says, do that in love. There are enough people. He's just been talking about the people, the deceivers that go out and try to put the thumb on people. He says, you're going to stand out because when you speak the truth, it's going to be obvious that you're doing it from what? A loving heart. You're going to learn how to speak the truth in that way. And that's going to take thought, isn't it? And that's going to take some submission to the Spirit of Christ and the Word of God to be able to do that. Because we may naturally be more pharisaical than Ephesians 4.15. This is what he says. And when we do, we have the promise that we all get to grow up. The person we're helping and the person helping. We all get to grow up a little bit, mature a little bit, to be more like Jesus who's the head of the church. Jump down to verse 22. In verse 22, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Paul says it really goes first, not to the other person. It goes first, we've got to look at ourselves. As we look at ourselves, we're going we're to have to examine and see, am I living up to the truth that I'm trying to share with this other person? Am I living up to the Spirit of Christ that I'm calling them to live up to? He says, you know, in your old life, deceitful desires, it was okay to get away with being hypocritical. It's not now because you're a Jesus follower and a loving heart doesn't do that. So you need to first examine yourself. And, and am, I, am I living up to this? And he says, put off falsehood. Don't ever lie to a brother or sister in Christ. That's what he's saying. Don't ever do it. Don't ever try to deceive each other. That's where where splits come from. It's where families fall apart. It's where churches fall apart. It's where the reputation of a church falls apart in a community. When people think you're trying to pull something over on them. So don't do it. Speak the truth. Whatever that is. But he says, speak truthfully to his neighbor. Why? Because we're all members of one body. Why do you think he throws that part in? Isn't it because if one of us goes out to the community and is known as a shyster, that's, that's, that's a New York word, I guess, a shyster. But if you're known as a shyster out in the community, doesn't that re- start to reflect on the church when they know that's, that's where you go to church? I'm not going to go there because I knew so-and-so who went there. And I knew so-and-so who went there. And if both of them were liars and heathens and crooks, why would I want to go there? It matters, doesn't it? He says, you're a family. And, and family of Christ. And so when... When you don't speak truthfully, that reflects not just on you. It reflects on, on all of us. So speak the truth and, and let it have the, the effect that it's supposed to. As long as we're not, it won't. Last one, Psalm 19. We read it earlier. So if we're going to be people of the truth with, with loving hearts that have that kind of an impact. We need to be drawn to the truth itself, which is really Jesus. Okay? 
We need to be people that are always back in the Word, looking at Jesus. How am I supposed to live? Applying that, speaking it to one another, and doing that with integrity and with honesty and forthrightness, but mostly and especially with love. And then this last one is, we've we got to put it into practice. And that's really where Ephesians 4 led us to, isn't it? You've got to look at yourself and say, am I living this if I'm going to speak it? Now, Psalm 19, you might not think from reading it earlier that this has to do with this topic, but it does. It starts with, as we did, I'm not going to go all the way back to the beginning, but it starts with David talking about all of the things in creation and in the universe that just by their being, their grandeur, their beauty, their complexity, their simplicity, just shout the glory of God. I don't know if any of you got out and saw the meteorites falling. I didn't. I was asleep, guys. So I looked and they said the best time was going to be at 3 in the morning. I said, well, I guess I'll miss that one until the next 50 years too, won't I? So that's over. So, but you still, you go out and even just, I did on the way home from, I don't remember where we were, but uh, Tanya was driving and I, I put my seat back and how spoiled is this? It was on my birthday. I was like, it's my birthday. I'm not driving. I put my seat back, opened up the sunroof, and, and looked out the sunroof at the stars. And I sat there and thinking, well, this should be my birthday more often. This is kind of cool. Getting chauffeured around, looking at the stars on a cool night. And it's just incredible what God does, isn't it? So David says, I look at all of this, and, and, and they shout praises to God in ways that is heard in every language. There's nowhere where their voice isn't heard. That's what he says earlier in the psalm. Nowhere that their praises aren't heard. David looks at that, and he has the same uh, reaction that Isaiah has in chapter 6 when he stands before the throne room of God at the temple. And he looks at the holiness and the angels flying around the cherubim saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And Isaiah looked at that and said, I am not worthy to be here. I'm an unclean man of unclean lips. I don't deserve to be here. This is God is too holy. He's too righteous. And, and I, I, don't, I just don't even belong here. That's honesty, isn't it? That's truth. Isaiah would later point out, that all of us, our righteousness before God is like filthy rags. None of us are as holy as He is. None of us are as right and truthful as He is. We've all had lapses in our, of our integrity at times. But the holiness of God brings that out. But it doesn't repel us. That's interesting to me that that's the way it works. Isaiah didn't... He says, you know, I'm not worthy and I shouldn't be here. But Isaiah doesn't leave. Instead, an angel goes to the fire at the altar and with a tongue picks up a coal and puts it on his lips. It's all a, a vision. Puts it on his lips, purifies him, and says, basically, through that action, you're forgiven, you're cleansed, and you're holy. God makes you worthy to be here. David looks at the creation, says, I just I, I can't believe what I'm seeing here. And how, what's his reaction? Look at the very end, verse 13. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my, my hidden faults. Some of the translations here had that first sentence, who can discern his errors. Not the idea of who can find fault with God, but who can look at themselves and understand the mistakes that they've made. And he says, forgive me, God. I've got things nobody else knows about. But just being in your presence, seeing your holiness, knowing your majesty, reminds me of not just how small I am, but how sinful I am. And the things that I've withheld from you and the things that aren't right. He says, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. And then I'll be blameless, innocent of great transgression. He says, and watch what I say, Lord. Help me speak truthfully, he's saying. 
May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be pleasing in Your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. Just being with God, being close to the flame, not only draws us further inward, it helps us to see the things that are incompatible. We come to this supper, and doesn't it remind us very often of the things in our life that were incompatible with the sacrificing? But God doesn't repel us. He doesn't push us away. He calls us further into the light. And He says, let me take care of that for you. I will wash you and make you clean. If you will be baptized, I will wash every sin away. I will even not just let you be in My presence. I will put My Spirit into you and you will be Mine. That's Acts 2.38. That's Romans 6, 3 and 4. This is what He's calling us to because He wants us to be further into His light, His holiness. Not just in a moment, but by the way that we live and the habits that we have. If you need to do that this morning, we encourage you to do so as we stand and as we sing.